4, verses 35 to 41. If you'll stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. This is God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So far the reading of God's holy word, we give thanks for it. You may be seated. As we turn to consider this portion of scripture, let's pray for God's help. O Lord, our God, we know that life is filled with storms, waves, and churning seas. And we are thankful that the Lord Jesus is master over them all. And as we turn to consider this portion of scripture, we pray that you might write that truth all the more deeply and richly upon our hearts this morning, that whatever it is we face, We belong to the Lord Jesus and are safe in his hands. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts to love you more, to serve you better. And we ask it all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All sorts of media uses a a standard plot point uh, that draws upon how people miss what is absolutely obvious and what ought to be plain right in front of their eyes, right? Romantic comedies implement the trick where the the dorky girl just pulls off her glasses and instantly gets recognized as, as beautiful, as if it changed anything about how she looked. Right? The, the Clark Kent phenomenon has left us wondering, well, again, how glasses can so radically hide that this guy is truly Superman. <laughs> Seemingly, some of our, our favorite stories understand that we have the habit of missing what should be obvious and what is right in front of us. And... In Mark 4, 35 to 41, 
Jesus' disciples have a moment where what ought to be plain as day to them by this point is nearly lost on them. Both before and after the fact, but in different ways. These men have been with Jesus in his ministry since early on, hearing him proclaim how the kingdom of God has arrived and seeing him perform miracles of both forgiving sin and healing the sick, demonstrating how he is the king of the divine kingdom. And now we have said from the outset of studying this book, right, that, that Mark's gospel is about answering that twofold question. Who is Jesus and what is his kingdom like? Various aspects of our developing story of Jesus' ministry have contributed to what we understand of that answer so far. And the series of events in chapter 4, well, holistically, is pivotal in making at least the reader, since the disciples are yet still catching up, starkly aware of how we ought to understand the answer to, to this twofold question. So, right, to get our bearings, this chapter does kind of hang together uh, for, for a, a setting reason. Right back in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see that Jesus got into a boat to teach since the crowds were so great that he was no longer able to fit on the shore. And in the previous few weeks, we saw what Jesus taught from that boat, working through Jesus' several parables, all of which concerned the secret of the kingdom of God. Those parables all taught about the manner of God's kingdom's presence in the world during this age. In other words, they explain to us the way that God's kingdom exists on earth today between Christ's first and second comings. And so Jesus' parables contribute, well, to the second major part of our major question from Mark's gospel, telling us about what is Jesus' kingdom like. And so we've seen greater depth on that side of the question. And here in the final verses of chapter 4, well, they help us see more of the answer to the first part of that question, who is Jesus? In in verses 35 and 36, we we see how this event is is a continuation of that narrative about his teaching and parables, right? It says, on that day, meaning the same day on which he had already been teaching. When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Namely, he was already in, in that boat, and so they, they went away in it. And other boats were with him. And so, as Jesus taught, from, taught in parables from a boat to inform his disciples about the nature of his kingdom, they set out in that boat from which he'd been teaching. And the events that take place in this boat now tell us who Jesus is more forcefully and clearly. Although the disciples should have seen past 
the, the Clark Kent glasses already. Well, Jesus' encounter with the storm pulled the glasses off entirely. Never, nevertheless, the disciples still seem to miss the point. And so our main point, our main point, is that because Jesus is God, we are safe in his hands. Because Jesus is God, we are safe in his hands. And we will think about this together in three points. The sun, the storms, and our safety. First, let's think about the sun. Okay, so, if a, by chance, if a small, feathered, web-footed creature walked in the back doors there and, and started quacking, we should all know what to infer, right? Uh, you would be shocked if someone here suggested that a raccoon had entered our midst, And you would probably be just as shocked, too, if someone said, what in the world is that thing? Because we're all taught to recognize the surefire signs of a duck. The thing is, many of us set aside our principles of of how to recognize things for what they are when we come to Scripture. And modern readers can often presume that Scripture does, or is at least is supposed to, put everything on the surface, you know, bluntly, explicitly stating everything that God wants us to see through it. But there are lots of times that Scripture, well, expects us to be able to recognize a duck for what it is. The, the problem that we tend to have is that the context for being able to recognize the ducks that scripture presents is that the whole scripture is the context itself. We, we miss lots of things and, and fail to recognize our ducks because we, we don't remember uh, what other parts of scripture tell us are the feathers, bills, webbed feet, and quacking sounds. So here in our passage in Mark 4, 35 to 41, Mark is painting a picture where we are supposed to recognize who Jesus is because of how Scripture gives great significance to his actions. So in, in this passage, to spell everything out for us, Mark portrays Christ as the true God. Now, Westminster Larger Catechism 11 gives us the principle that we need to be able to recognize this truth, saying the scripture manifests that the Son and the Holy Spirit are God equal with the Father by ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship as are proper only to God. So how do, we, how do we see that work out in our passage today? Okay, so Psalm 107, we opened there with our call to worship, right? Is about how various people end up in different perilous 
situations. Each sort of stanza describes a new group of people ending up in trouble and, and calling upon the Lord, and he rescued them. And each stanza records one of these events, right? And they all end. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Now, verses 23 to 32 of Psalm 107. Well, that stanza is about sailors going out and ending up in dangerous weather. Right, so it starts out, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. Right, and then it describes how storms come, come about. Uh, and then verses 28 and 29, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. And so we return to Mark 4, 37 to 39. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was asleep. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Jesus' miracles are, are hardly ever just a matter of performing an impressive feat. It's, it's not that these, these things prove he's God simply because they're abnormal or impressive. Rather, Christ shows himself to be God by performing actions that God performs. The, like you recognize a duck, well, because it looks and acts like a, a duck, Mark recounts this story so that, we, so that we recognize Christ for who he is. The true God, namely God the Son. And so the answer to our question, who is Christ, is that he is God who has come among his people to rescue us. The parables about God's kingdom are then followed by, well, a presentation of that kingdom's king, the Son, the second person of the true and living God. And that brings us to our second point, the storms. The storms. Right, so we've, we've established that this passage is about showing us Jesus' true identity as God the Son. And having done that, we can step back and ask how, how it addresses us as God's people to live in light of it. And here we need to think more about the reaction that Jesus' disciples had. And when we learn to see how we fit in this passage, we also learn that there are two applications worth our reflection that will occupy the rest of our time this morning. 
So both concern really how we fall into the same misstep that the disciples took by not recognizing or remembering who it is that is with us. So we see their growing distress in verses 38-37 as, as the storm rises. But, but Jesus remains asleep as the boat fills with water. So they cry to him to wake up and halt their perishing. And the rest of this point reflects upon situations where this boat well, is internal to us. In the church's early centuries, St. Augustine was perhaps our, our greatest theologian, certainly the most known still. And he commented on this passage that when we are roused to anger, waves in our hearts are tossing us about. When we, when we desire revenge, the buffeting winds place us in danger of shipwreck. And he pointed out that our anger, unsettledness, and avarice rises and rages like a continuing storm in our hearts. Namely, as he put it, because Christ is asleep in you. And he explained that he meant, you have forgotten his presence. And here's the thing. When the storm is inside us, when we feel moved to hate our neighbor, when we want our pound of flesh, when we want to embrace the spiral of anxiety, when we want to run headlong into our greed and, and lust, well, we also tend to want Christ to stay asleep in those situations, don't we? We want him to be asleep in the boat of our hearts so that we can have our way and lean into the storms that are brewing in us. And our problem in temptation and when we are in sin is, is that we actually don't want the answer to the disciples' closing question. Right? They'd asked and, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who, is that, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. We're often quite happy for the seas to rage in our hearts and for Christ to remain quiet so that we can run wild. In temptation, we are usually slow to remember that Christ the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, we are slow to remember that He is with us. We are slow to remember who He is. And we are often slow to hope that He would use His power to calm the storm leading us towards sin. Believer, when the boat is our heart, and the storm is our sin. Well, let us be quick to imitate the disciples and rush to rouse Christ to still the waves 
and bring peace. That brings us to our final point. Our safety. Our safety. So our, our other application here reflects on when the boat is external to us. What happens when the storms are not inside us, but come upon us? And in this case, we need to learn to react less like the disciples who feared in the first place because they forgot who Christ is and that he was with them. We should, we should hope, at least, not to find ourselves asking, who, who is this who did such a good thing for us? Right? The turmoil of the situation mounted for the disciples, and they doubted that their Savior would be there in time to care for them. And I think, I think one of the things we have to remember to keep in mind here is that, as we said early on, Mark wrote his gospel in a time when cultural pressure was mounting against Christians. There was real unrest, and many Christians would have been worried about what the future would hold for them, for the church, for their families. They would be obviously dissatisfied with everything stirring around them in society as the pagan emperors of Rome flaunted godless policies and practices and squeezed upon Christians' religious comfort levels. And so we would be misguided to think that Mark included this, this story here at the closing description of what God's kingdom is like without pointed reason for encouraging his readers. Their world was one of storms. They needed Christ's response for his doubting disciples. They needed to hear Jesus say to them again, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And as we consider perhaps the the oddity, the strangeness of, of Jesus sleeping when his disciples would be so vigorously troubled, we should ask ourselves, well, why would Christ be sleeping then? And the answer is that because God is always at rest during our storms, since he is never troubled, And he remains fully able always to calm them. God is never overwhelmed or caught out by what comes upon us. He knows and is sovereign over it all. I panic when Scott falls down, right? Because what if this is the time that this is a situation I can't handle? And God never panics. Because it's never a situation that he can't handle for his people. God's power is seen as we find a refuge in him. Regardless of what stirs around us. He has set the limits of our trials and troubles. Even here in in this storm 
upon the sea in Galilee, while the boat carried Christ, the God's Son, according to his humanity, Christ was at the same time upholding the boat, the weather, the disciples, and the universe, all things together, according to his deity. He remains sovereign over all things, no matter how fragile they may feel to us. We read Job 38, where in verses 8 to 11, God celebrates how he shut the doors of the sea, reigning over all of its tumults. And, and so he addressed the waves, thus far shall you come, and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. God sets the limits upon the waves of the sea. He sets the limits upon the waves of your heart. And Christ reigns over the waves in our lives that threaten to upturn us. Whatever weighs heavy on your heart, it is not beyond the scope of Christ's kingship. He has set the beginning and the end of all our trials. Look to Mark again to see how, how quick Christ is to respond to his people for, for our good, even when we already should have been trusting him more fully. He comes to our aid. After all, salvation by faith is, is not dependent on the strength of our faith, but upon the strength of our Savior, in whom we place our faith. When his people called to him, he rose and rebuked their troubles. Whatever waves may rise for us believers, Christ is not only our high priest who died and rose to forgive our transgressions and reconcile us with God. He is also our king who rules and defends us and is reigning to conquer all of his and our enemies. When the waves rise against us, Christ stands ready to rise against them for the sake of his people. And we need simply to be near to Christ. The boat where Christ is among his people, well, it's the church, isn't it? Here, we are those who cling to Christ by faith. And so as waters rage and foam outside, we delight to be in the ark of salvation. The people of God, those who have been rescued from perishing by the blood of the risen Christ. And so right, we close too with the celebration of the sailors from Psalm 107. When God stilled the waves, showing to them that he rescued his own. Let them thank the Lord, 
for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of his people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. When Christ rescues us, let us say, I know who this is. My Jesus, God, the Son, who can calm whatever wave may rise. Let us pray. Lord our God, you know what troubles us. You know what panics us and makes us fear. You know what has unsettled our boats this week, whether it be in our hearts or our lives or whatever it may be. You, O God, know. And we are thankful that you are sovereign over it all. And you have proved your sovereignty even over the worst of things that may come, over death itself as Jesus burst forth from the grave and guaranteed life for his people. And so let us flee to him and let us rejoice that there is no better place that we could flee. Because in his hands, we are safe. We ask all of this in his precious name. Amen. Let us stand to sing our closing praise, Jesus.